Welcome to the podcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. Your partner in strategic relationships and business development. We are your hosts, Aubrey Darden and TJ Dennis. Hey, Aubrey, it is a beautiful Wednesday in Bozeman, Montana. I'm really excited to get to talk to someone you work with quite a bit, which is Matt Hemmer, uh, General Counsel and Privacy Officer at NetDocuments. Yes, Matt is such a delight. Uh, so excited that we got to have him on the show today. And he is also known internally at NetDocuments as their resident Ted Lasso, which mm. is very serendipitous for reasons you will hear in our interview, (laughs) but a little bit more about Matt. He joined the software industry in 2007 after 18 months as a civil litigator. He spent over a decade at Adobe before deciding to take his revenue-centric approach and privacy law focus to smaller companies in an effort to build a truly integrated legal department recognized as a revenue tool rather than a cost center. And as TJ mentioned, he is currently the general counsel and privacy officer at NetDocuments. Really excited to share our conversation about a very fun, sticky topic, which is generative AI. Well, let's get on into it. Hey there, Matt. Thanks for joining the podcast. How's it going today? It's going really well. Thank you for the opportunity to, to talk with you guys today. Yeah, really appreciate it. Um, how are things down in Utah? Is it finally starting to feel like summer around here? It's yeah, it's crazy. We uh, we still have about two thirds of our snowpack that needs to come down the the mountain, but uh, we are seeing seventies and eighties in the valley. Um, so it's the uh, the tale of two different uh, experiences here. You can golf during the day and go up and, and uh, ski up there in the mountains still. So I think th- I think there's a term like the Colorado Nine, where you uh, where you go ski nine laps, you play nine holes of golf, and then you catch <laughs> nine innings at the Rockies. Maybe you can do there that you in Utah. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm stealing that. <laughs> Okay, before we get into the serious stuff and we start talking about AI, huge topic that we've been jumping into, I have one really burning and pressing question here. You're only a get to, a get to watch one TV show for the rest of your life. No other TV shows, oh, wow. only one. What TV show are you choosing? I'm going to choose Ted Lasso. Ah, yes. Spot on Ted Lasso. And, and I have a reason for that, but we don't have time to go into that reason, but I'm actually writing... A, uh, a blog post about the the leadership style and the, the the amazing mentorship skills that are being shown through humor, and okay. uh, it's it is so spot on. I love it. You're a man after my heart. I'm obsessed with the show. <laughs> um, people should just follow you on LinkedIn. You'll post this to LinkedIn when it, when the blog post is all out. Oh yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Okay, I will personally be trying to keep track of that. So that is outstanding, Aubrey. I've derailed this from the serious things, except for when <laughs> Ted Lasso blog comes out, but. Uh, I'll kick it over to you. <laughs> hey, Ted Lasso is very serious and a very important topic for us to be discussing here today. <laughs> I can't wait to read your blog post, Matt. And I totally agree that Ted Lasso is, he embodies a very amazing leadership and mentorship style. So I can't wait to hear your take on it. Um, we'll be sure to share that out with our audience too once it comes out. But like TJ alluded to, As many of us have seen, generative AI is dominating the headlines kind of from the newsroom to the boardroom. We're hearing about it everywhere. 
So can you tell us what it even is? You know, what is generative AI? Is yeah. it just chat GPT? Is it automation? Is it some combination of that? Like, just tell us a little bit about your take and what it is. Yeah, that's, you know, I will tell you right now, you ask 10 people the same question, you're going to get 10 different answers. And and that's the hard part. How do we describe it, right? And what does it really do? Um, especially now that we're seeing a lot of what I'm going to call AI fatigue and that it's been so hot and it changes all the time and, and new companies are coming out with new little bright lights or bright little shiny things to help us. But I think when we look at generative AI, what's really doing is it's giving us a huge data set through which to against which to query and then have that output, which is that generation. So, um, and what is so unique about what we're doing now is that we have the entire internet right now, just, you know, typing on the type on the, on the keyboard, we're five seconds away from, from having an answer that is coming from a, a huge wealth of knowledge. So when looking at generative AI, it's either you're looking at text or you're looking at um, PowerPoint, you're looking at photographs or fake photographs, I should say, or are they, are they even fake? Sure. We could go deep in on that, but you're looking at anything and everything that could be made or just off of a simple question or a different or, or a simple, uh, a simple key key in like I could say make make me a picture uh, of me with super big muscles on the beach um, drinking a virgin pina colada and um, make me so I have amazing hair and it'll do that for me and then I'll m make it look a little more real and I might use that on on LinkedIn but um, <laughs> that's 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 what's fun about it but that's also what what gets a little scary too when we when we talk about the the capabilities for for it to be used um, unethically or unsafely. And you mentioned specifically that it's the entire internet. That's kind of the idea behind yeah. open source AI. There are versions that are not open source, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I call those more containerized. And that okay. um, that's where I see the real value um, for, for at least my sort of use case and legal use case is the corpus of that learning model or that we're not talking about an LLM anymore, the, the large or the language learning model. We're, we're talking about a corpus of my own documents um, over years and years of practice, my own templates, even my negotiated agreements. I, I would love to be able to have something learned from all of that, learn from all the mistakes that I've made and, and sort of grade me on, on what I'm doing, but also help me understand my risk tolerances and, mm -hmm. and where I've changed. And, and then I can go ahead and train my team on that. Um, but I, I would love to be able to just sit down day to day and say, you know what, I need to learn about something. I've been doing this for 15 years. I'm curious about how I've changed uh, changed my risk profile build. And and it, it would be able to show me that. And I, and then that would be actionable data for me. Um, so that's, anyway, I've digressed a little bit. I'm a little too geeky about no. this. Bring bring me back to center. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, you're you're taking it the exact direction which I was going to ask, which is the use of generative AI in the in the workplace, right? Yeah. I think that we've seen since the early part of 2023 many different headlines of people using it, and some people who are outright banning it, and then there's probably the rest of us like a standard bell curve model or right somewhere in the middle. So. Is there a right and a wrong approach as it pertains to the governance of a generative AI, or, or maybe just yeah. expand a little bit about like what that even even that bell curve might look like for folks? Yeah, so uh, like you said, it, uh, I've seen the exact same thing when I talk um, 
you know, I, I've, I've talked a few, talk, I've spoken a few times to some, some uh, very, very intelligent people from very large companies, and they fall into those three buckets, right? I don't want to look at it; it's there, it scares me, or I don't know enough about it to be scared, so, but I don't care. And then you've got those in, in middle camp. Look, it's here; it's not going anywhere. Let's find how to tame it and use it the right way. And then you've got other people that are like, I'm all in. I don't care. I'm, I'm using it all day, every day. Forget any guardrails, right? And I, I think that middle approach is the right approach. But there's so much within that middle approach to think about, like governance. Do I have a policy for my company as it relates to this? But so many people don't know where to start with, a, with an AI policy because they don't know all the use cases yet. Mm-hmm. And those use cases are going to change. Um, week to week to week, and um, and it's not just about um, it's not just about utilizing it. For example, for me, have it Chat GPT draft me an NDA that does not include a residuals clause, but has a clause that is like a residuals clause to sneak in. I I could do that, but I don't want to do that. Um, it, but those are the use cases that I, I think we need to start looking at, and how we utilize that day to day in legal tech in conjunction with legal tech, but also give good guardrails to those who are going to use it. And for example, again, interrupt me, TJ, I'd like to talk. No, 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 um, please, please keep but going. For example, um, talking to a, an amazing general counsel at a very, very large company, and she took this perspective that kind of shifted me, and it still has shifted me even further just this week, where she has an enti- her entire legal team that has... Um, been told to set up their personal chat GPT accounts. And then she gave them three guardrails. Never use the company name, never use proprietary sensitive trade secret information, copyrighted information. Um, and third, never put in any personal information. Don't use names, don't use birth dates, don't use you know, all of that stuff yeah. you don't want anybody to know about. And her reasoning was that they are going to use it no matter what. So she might as well adopt it and embrace it and give them guardrails. And number two, she feels like it's her responsibility to give them the tools to be successful. And um, which kind of reminds me of something I heard this morning on an internal call where so many people are afraid of being replaced by AI. Um, But this quote was, you're not going to be replaced by AI. You're going to be replaced by somebody who knows how to use AI. And that resonated so deep, right? Hmm. Um, and, and that, that's something that I really feel like we need to understand it, how to use it and not be afraid of it, but we're catching that tiger by the tail and, uh, you know, it's still pulling against us and dragging us a little bit, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Interesting. So Matt, this is kind of a tangential question, but as someone who works in legal, you're, you are a general counsel, but you also work for a technology company serving law firms, legal departments, et cetera. So feel like you're in a really unique position where you're kind of in between two areas, right? You are in charge of the legal at your company and you're also in charge of what your company is doing to protect data for large law firms who that is their number one priority in a lot of ways. Can you tell me about maybe some of the questions that you all are discussing internally or that you're seeing from your clients about the use of generative AI and how how you're addressing kind of the privacy concerns that are coming up, maybe both internally and externally? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, without going into too much detail, 
uh, we've been looking at net documents. We've been looking at this since last year, um, and we've been playing a lot with it, uh, it as to build in naturally it, it, as an augmentation to some of our current products and services, whatever that might look look like. But you're right in insofar as privacy and security are paramount. And so when looking at, at the right way to build this component and this tool into what we provide, um, we're looking at ways to do it where, where the guardrails are already built, number one. Number two, I, how do I, I'm trying to describe this in layman's terms without getting way too geeky, but if you can containerize something in, you know, in the cloud, right? Um, and that container keeps your stuff safe from any other any anything else getting in there, but a container inside of the container, and then containers inside of that. That I think is a very, very smart way to deploy AI because you're not only siloing in a way in a way that it's going to be only learning from your corpus of documents, which is what law firms want, but also it's going to keep it keep your your input and output from going over the fence back over into a, the the LLM that underlies the entire thing or you know third parties. And so there's a right way to do it. And I think that's a very good right way to do it is to containerize and containerize and containerize and then keep it just keep the training data your data. And I think that's the sweet spot for that use case. This is really interesting because you I'm circling back to something you had said it that kind of fits this mold and that is that eventually someone will be replaced by another individual who knows how to use AI and we're all in this in this period of learning what that containerization looks like but I'm total I'm totally stealing a quote that one of our, my members used in a, in a conversation about generative AI a couple months ago and that is the calculator never put a mathematician out of a job and I heard that and I was like that's my revelation moment this is interesting you learn how to use a calculator for how to do your job better, I guess, right? Yes. So, yes. So, as people are learning how to containerize and also learning how to use these automation and AI tools, what does like the the medium term look like? What does the long term look like? Is how AI is affecting yeah. our jobs and our day to day right now? Yeah. So, so the the medium right now is that we still have fairly unsophisticated ways to use it, um, at least generative AI. Um, we will get more more sophisticated in that use. So short term, I think it's going to be a struggle for us to really figure out how to build it in in a safe and ethical way. Um, and and just backing up, it's not like this is brand new. It's just the LLM that is that component that's new, that that language learning model, right? Or the large large language model. Um, but we've been using AI forever. Um, Pre-screening people uh, for for job interviews. Um, you know, all of these things like that, that, that are their use cases now that we're layering in more powerful tools, short term, we have some really big ethical considerations. How do we train something to be ethical? Because ethics is a human trait, right? And so how do we build ethical safeguards into something that can't feel, at least not yet? Well, I guess Bing has people fall in love with it uh, before they turned it off. Right? <laughs> Going back to those anecdotes where it gets sassy and starts to flirt with people. Sure, um, sure. But but that's my my biggest concern short term is how do, how do we do it ethically um, in use cases where people's uh, where health health decisions are made based off of certain things certain variables and and also hiring decisions those types of things worry me um, but short term I think it's going to be clunky I think yeah. we're going to learn a lot over the next three six nine months and it's going to be stable enough and become integrated enough to um, to actually be something that now we know how to use it. Now we know how to use it safely. 
ethically and securely. Those are the three things um, that I look for. For and you know, um, Office 365. They've come out with a limited test case with with their copilot, which they stole from GitHub, um, but uh, <laughs> from the engineering copilot. But it'll be really interesting interesting to see what that does. But because I think that that style or that paradigm that they're working in is the paradigm that we will see in word processing and document creation, which is I'm looking at a document. I want something that will, and, and it's something that we're looking at too. I want to interrogate that document with that mm -hmm. little side box. I want to go in there and say, tell me what this says about indemnification. How broad is it? And then it'll answer that for me. And rather than me having to go down, scroll down and read it and say, how does that interplay into the limitational liability? I want something to help do that for me because then I can actually do the harder legal work rather than wade through 17th century legalese, um, you know, right, right. All, all bold, it's run on sentences and I just roll my eyes and get frustrated. I want to interrogate that doc intelligently and be able to cut my workload by, you know, eight tenths in, in, a, in an additional or a first review of that document, first blush. I think that's that's where the practical use comes in. Once we dial it in by end of year, early next year, I think that's longer term how we're going to be using that in the legal space. Interesting. That is the ability to to apply years of knowledge living in your brain and and uh, reasoning and common sense to what a machine is putting out, similar to the mathematician yes. and that calculator. How we can be using a tool like this to to streamline, make efficient, and improve instead of replace. It, it, exactly. I, I want to be more efficient because I want to pay attention to the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's that easy stuff that we just want to streamline and, and in some way, shape or form, help us do our best work. I, was tr I went to law school to do much more work than I do that, 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 that on a daily basis, but we all run into that problem. There's so much administrative work that we can automate. Sure. There's administrative work that we're just trying to pull off of our plates so we can really, really get into the real legal world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point about just creating more bandwidth to do the more important things. And I think yeah. that that is one of the biggest use cases for generative AI is just helping create more space for us to do the things that feel like they matter a little bit more, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, and it it is somewhat, I, I know that there are some legal professionals who are really, really frustrated with their legal work because like I said, some people really want to do the harder work, but they can't because there's so much in their way. That's just mm -hmm. small, tedious, and, and they're important documents. I'm not saying they're not, but um, getting those out of the way, I, I think that's good. You're going to see job satisfaction rates go up. You're mm -hmm. going to see people stay longer and, and not seek um, non-traditional legal roles because they're going to find that their job now is, is aligned with what they thought they were going to do as a paralegal or thought what they were going to do as, as an attorney. Um, and we're going to get back to doing basic real legal work instead of that, you know, playing around with the little things here and there uh, for an hour, an hour and a half a day, just to push that all off so I can finally get back into something big and hairy. Mm -hmm. That's great. So as kind of a final question, as a legal professional yourself, and as someone who is working primarily with the legal industry as your primary clients, what recommendations do you have for organizations as they look to leverage this technology and what considerations should they be making as they're incorporating it into their work? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would be you know, the first thing I'd I'd say is um if you're looking at a third party solution, you need to really vet them, see what they're doing, how they're doing it, do a, a really hardcore privacy impact assessment, um, and and make sure that they're safe to do business with and that they're doing it the right way. And I'm not assuming that a lot of these third parties are doing it wrong, but I will not let anything in this door that has not gone through a thorough compliance and risk and security vetting process, number one. Number two, if you're just gonna start to dabble and sort of, I'm, I'm gonna start using it here, here and there, I, I would say let's, let's get key stakeholders together and say, what are the use cases? And, and limit those use cases as sort of a trial, right? And then promulgate a, a sort of an AI acceptable acceptable use policy. And that's where a lot of us do struggle right now. Um, just today, we were talking about that in one of our meetings is how do we how do we promulgate that policy? And what should it look like? And will it capture every use case? And or will we be amending that policy every three weeks? And so I, I think that, um, you know, again, just due diligence and then be really tight about thinking about what you really want to use it for and what you should use it for. Because I, I think, you know, we're going to go back to movie quotes for a second, but um, Jurassic Park, and I'm going to butcher it, but um, there's, there's a quote in there about they were, they were so dialed in on whether or not they could do something that they didn't stop to think about whether they should. And, um, <laughs> and, and that's where we are because we can, but let's think about if we should. And, and what it means if the should did, gets thumbs up, right? And I gestured with my thumbs. I know it's a podcast, but I give two thumbs up. <laughs> I, I liked it. I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> well, I think that's great. And I, based on the conversations that, that we're hearing here internally, those are a lot of the things that people are most worried about is the privacy yep. and security. So asking those questions internally and of third-party vendors is really important to make sure you're protecting your organization and your client information too. Well, and, and Aubrey, just, you know, really quickly before you kick me off, um, I used to be in that first camp. No way, no how, don't want it, scary. It, 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 there, there are too many legal reasons why not to use it. Um, but I have changed my position substantially over the, over the past few months. And now I'm fully embracing what's going to happen, what well, what, what is happening and the future of what's going to happen, um, provided that we do do it ethically, safely, and securely. Um, but I'm excited. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm excited for how it changes my own practice. So um, uh, Now paraphrasing a different Ted Lasso quote, you know, things come into our lives to help us get from one place to a better place. <laughs> there know? we go. And there we go. here we are with GAI. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This was really informative and super helpful. I'm, I'm sure all, all of our listeners will find it. Um, they can find you on LinkedIn if they want to uh, keep up with your Ted Lasso blog when it comes up or just general counsel stuff that you're putting out in the world, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like to be very uh, transparent in my LinkedIn posts. Um, I like to talk about real world issues as GCs or a privacy uh, practitioner and uh and all sorts of various sundry things. Um, life lessons, everything else. That's what I'm there for. Outstanding. We'll make sure that everybody has a link to get there um, in, the, in the show notes for this one. But thank you so thank much for your time. Looking forward to the next time we can catch up. Thanks, TJ and Aubrey. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. If you enjoyed the content in this month's discussion, please visit our blog at ProfitableIdeas.com or check out our books, Never Say Sell and How Clients Buy. Profitable Ideas Exchange, connecting powerful minds and making the world smarter and smaller.